to the Face for Radio podcast. Getting real, too real, with radio's finest. All right, episode five is here. Very excited about my guest. Um, One, I'm just pumped to catch up with her because we worked together for nearly three years in Pittsburgh, but also because I know she has some stories about this crazy crazy radio biz. Uh, Before I introduce her, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast like the Face for Radio Facebook and uh, Twitter accounts, and give me some feedback too. I'm all about that. I'm thinking this podcast will eventually uh, open up to guests outside of radio. So if you or someone you know might be interested in being a guest, again, let me know. And now for my good buddy on episode five of the Face for Radio podcast, Leah Clocko. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, hi, Chachi. How are you? How's things? How you been? Uh, good, busy, life after radio, you know. I was on the air here in Pittsburgh for more years than I, probably what, like, yeah, I, been 30 I, years or I, something? I want to be a gentleman and be like, how long, <laughs> how long were you in radio, <laughs> you know, in a, <laughs> in a, in a very uh, conversational and interview type of way, but then again, I know that you're you're kind of guarded when it comes to your age, so I don't know how to <laughs> even approach that question. Well, see, I started in radio when I was five. Ah, you know, so it's like, you know what? Whenever I was talking with um, not Jimmy but Johnny O in Wheeling, he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, my dad was in radio, and I was pretty much doing radio whenever I was like, you know, twelve or something like that." And I'm like, "My goodness, if I would have just I can't got even... <laughs> being being in it." For your entire life. Right. And I couldn't even imagine, like, what would you say on the air at age 12? <laughs> I don't know. I'd probably just I, end up I, reading the comic books or just the comic strips. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you would I'm say. I'm probably really glad I wasn't on the air at age 12 because I would have to be probably embarrassed about what I said. Yeah. <laughs> so, Plus, uh, I would have sounded like Minnie Mouse. So we worked together, uh, who would that have been, 2006 to like 2009? On the yeah, uh, on the like that. on the Froggy Network, uh, which was which was whenever they were just spending money like crazy, just right. The, we the, had all kind of vehicles. Remember, we had the uh, the Hummer. Oh, we had that's a Hummer. Right. Yeah, we had a Hummer. We had like five or six vehicles. We had all those studios that we didn't use. Oh, we had a ton of studio. We had studios that were just empty. You're right. Yeah, no one ever used them. We had <laughs> right, because we had our production guy had a studio. Uh-huh. Then we had a production studio. Right. Then we had our radio studio. Then we had what was at one time intended to be the news and traffic guy studio, and he no longer was there. Right. And then we had another production studio. I forgot how many studios we had in that building. That was off of uh, Campbell's Run Road. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, it had that, that for those that have driven the parkway, they used to have that big froggy sign right when you passed underneath 79. That was before the overpass. I, we were working there when the overpass was being built. Right. You could look out and see it. <laughs> I remember I remember thinking that was going to be like uh, like the land bridge connecting North America to Russia. Like, oh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to get on that overpass. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to. I, well, I used to like in early in the morning looking out the window, and it was like, like, you know, they say watching fish is relaxing. Right. Watching all the cars go around all the little clover leaves and the different directions, it was like watching fish in a fishbowl. Oh, yeah, that would be. That would be. So I yes. was doing the seven to midnight shift, and then 
you know, whenever I was talking with Jimmy uh, Roach on the uh, first episode, I was like, mm-hmm. we worked together for three years, but we never saw each other. We would see each other I- at like the, the Christmas uh, parties or whatever right. events that the company was doing. Maybe if like a big artist was in, he would either stick around or I would come in early. But like, I rarely saw him. You were the person that I saw every single day because you yep, came in from midnight to five, five thirty, something like that. Midnight to five. Midnight to five. Yeah. So it's, it's just great hearing your voice. It's good. Uh, it'll also be fun to catch up. But, and, I, and I have to say, my favorite Chachi story. Uh, please. You know where I'm going with I it. do. I absolutely do. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a chew toy. And, like, it, you you say that every time that we talk, and it's just so crazy. And it's like, it's just one of those, like, listener phone calls that just kind of stuck. Because... Yeah. Because either I was, like, doing afternoons and you were filling in for my evening or something like that. Where mm-hmm. uh, somebody called, will you tell the story? Well, somebody called, they called me, and they had met you, but for some reason I was talking to this woman, and they had gotten a new dog, and her dog thought her cat was a chew toy. <laughs> so why, I don't remember why she was telling me this story. But well, then I mean, about- come on, I mean, listeners go into, they they feel like since they can't see you, they can just kind of like tell you anything and just go into deep, long conversations that they probably aren't having with their, their spouse, let alone, you know, their best friend. So, you know, she's probably just like, I'll never meet Leah. I'll just, I'll just tell her my life story. Right. And then she got to talking about her daughter who was somewhere near your age and had met you somewhere. And her daughter was all crushing on you. And so for some reason, she went from there to telling her daughter that you, Chachi, were not a chew toy. <laughs> and like you, and ra- like you rarely were able to like uh, pass the mic off to me. I was always passing right. the mic off to you. But, yeah. but in those rare occurrences, you kept that like five seconds of audio. It was like. I did. I I probably still have it somewhere. <laughs> if you do, you need to find it and I'll just I'll just intermittently drop it into this podcast. Just randomly. I could, <laughs> <laughs> I could probably I bet you it's still in my cool edit at the station. I could probably get danger to get it. Oh my god. That's so funny. Although I don't remember where exactly it is, but Yeah, like whenever whenever I was let go uh, back in October um, I, I, I just, I just felt like, you know what? I don't even want any of that audio. I don't even like, there's people there that I could contact and I could be like, mm-hmm. you know, get this audio, get this audio, get this audio. One thing that I really want to do still is to get enough audio to submit for a PAB, which is a Pennsylvania Association of Broadcasters and, mm-hmm. and try to win the best morning show, even though I'm what not... <laughs> which would be a would great, be especially great. Now that you're not on the air, there'd be like, Hey guys, right. <laughs> this is what you, yeah. Because they send those packages. And when you win those awards, they send them to other States. So right. 
Like, so Virginia could be voting on Pennsylvania. I remember whenever I won an award in uh, West Virginia, when I was working in Parkersburg, I got like, you know, best personality in a, in a smaller media market. And they had sent those air checks to an air check is basically like a radio resume. Um, you they send it to Kentucky and I had a bunch of redneck stuff. Like a bunch of just redneck jokes, redneck callers. I mean, I was south of the Mason Dixon, so I was just like playing it up. And, of course. And those those guys from Kentucky loved it. So that's what <laughs> it's all about. Who you send the the audio to, but you never know. Right. You never know who right. they're going to send the audio to as well. So uh, yeah, I'm still right. thinking about and that. An air check, an air check. Just to explain, is all of the talking without the music. So you would listen to an air check and it's just the person on the air. It's just all the clips of them talking and you just hear the end or beginning of music or commercial. So let's talk about air checks for a second, because when you started in radio, air checks were a regular thing with your program director, right? Do you have any stories about that? Well, I mean, for me, uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I would have sounded like Minnie Mouse at age 12. Um, This is now my speaking voice. But my speaking voice used to be much higher. And my first station that I worked for, I had a program director who would go over air checks, and it was a big band station. Uh, big Band 101. Big Band 101, which eventually became Whammo? Yes. <laughs> Through many incarnations in between. Right, right. Okay, so wait, okay. So seriously, how old were you whenever you were starting here? Because you're playing big band music. Whenever you're, well, I would have been just out of college, so okay. I would have been so like 21. 21, 22, and you're playing yep. big band music, like, uh huh. And this is like music that you're into, or you're just excited to have a job. Well, I was excited to have a job, and I was making minimum wage, whatever that was, something like four twenty-five an hour or something. Making bank, rolling in it, yeah, <laughs> rolling it, and uh, right. And I grew to love some of the big band stuff, though, like some of the swing bands. Yeah, I never liked the what they called the sweet band so much, but like Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, like I developed a liking for all of that stuff. Okay. So it's kind of the same way as whenever I got into country, I really didn't know country. I didn't really, didn't really like it. But then after you're like, people have always asked me, like, did you like country music? Do you like country music? And I'm like, well, you either grow to like it or you're going to blow your brains out because (laughs) the other you know there's no other there's no in between because you either grow to like it or you are just forced to listen to it for five hours every single day so right um it was kind of the same way i was like well yeah i can get down with some toby keith kenny chesney all right and then you know you start learning the the smaller bc level uh bands and you're like okay well yeah i can get into this i see the it's like learning uh it's like learning a new language you know, after yeah. if, if you're just listening to somebody talking in the language, you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand. But then a couple phrases start making sense. And then you're you're able to, like, pick up on it and converse and understand it a little bit. It's kind of the same way as, like, you know, listening to new music. Right. And with and with country, you know, at first you have no basis for anything. Like, you don't know the artist. So you're like, I don't know anything I'm listening to. Yeah. Um. But luckily, I'd worked country. I've worked country several times throughout my career, starting in what year was that? Probably the late '80s. Okay, was the first time I worked country. 
Um, and I've worked it several times. So I always liked it. I mean, I grew up listening to like John Denver, who was at that time considered country. Yeah. As well as pop. Um, you know, so it wasn't, a, and my dad listened to stuff like Jim Reeves, like old country. Okay. Um, so it wasn't completely unknown to me. Big band was kind of, when I worked that, I was like, uh. oh, but anyway, back <laughs> yeah. to the original story. Well, th- that's, about- that's the way this podcast is going to go. Is, Especially with us. It, yeah, it's probably going to be like an hour and we're going to get right back to you doing a, an air check with your first job. Right. <laughs> so, Actually, I saw comedian Craig Ferguson live and he was fantastic, but that's what he did. Instead of like doing bits, he started a story and then an hour later, after telling a whole bunch of really funny jokes, he got back to the, like, I don't know how he did it by himself. Yeah. But it was really cool. Um, where did you see him? Uh, at the in Homestead at the Carnegie Music Hall. Mm. Yeah, he, he would he would be really funny to see live because it, it's I don't know if if much of what he does is written down, more or less just him kind of working stuff out, like him just him just figuring out what works and then just you know like almost like a basic outline of bullet points and I'm going to get to this point eventually, but he, but his mind, the way it goes, it's just like, how, how would you even write any of that stuff down? You know what yeah, I mean? Like I don't, the, I don't know. And some of his, his funniest thing was apparently he was once, uh, he was once working with the Rolling Stones on something. So he was touring with them because he was writing with them or something. I, I don't know. They were working what? on a movie. I don't even, yeah. <laughs> and so he got to know the Stones and he was still drinking at the time. And, um, um, not Mick Jagger, why am I drawing a blank? Keith Richards. Oh, oh Keith Richards, right. Said to <laughs> Craig Ferguson, like, you really need to go to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> when Keith Richards tells you you need to go to rehab, <laughs> you really need to go to rehab. Yeah, yeah, you really need to check yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so, so, but, but, yeah, like talking in circles, taking a break, taking detours. That's probably what this whole podcast is going to be. So, you're working Big Bang, Big, Big Bang. You're working at the Big Bang Theory, writing for them. Right. Yeah. Talking to Sheldon. (laughs) So, uh, and the PD's doing air checks with you. Right. And at the time, that PD said, you know, your voice is too high. Like, why? You have to lower your voice. So, I was, trying to work on that as well as I used to go up at the end of all my words, you know, like a question. Oh yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't hear it. So I couldn't fix it. Mm. Like even when I played it back, I couldn't hear it. Mm. So I was working on those things and then eventually got to my second radio job where I'd been working to lower my voice all through the first radio job because the PD said you need to do that. I got to my second radio job and that PD said, why are you lowering your voice? (laughs) I was like, I feel like that's there a common like- theme because you and I used to talk a lot. We talk radio. Of course, we talk about our personal mm-hmm. lives and everything else. But I remember specifically stories of you going, this PD told me this thing, and then this PD told me the opposite thing. And then I got the next job, and this PD told me the opposite thing. So you were like a ping pong ball constantly being like smacked around. So I, it's it's amazing to me that you were still able to find you know, Leah Clocko's voice. You know, even well, amongst all that chaos. Well, thank you. I think what what happened is after the PDs did that, 
I was able to use my voice anywhere in that range because I spent so much time working to raise and lower it. And I, in listening to women on the air, I didn't like the high squeaky, you know, um, you know. Oh, uh, I, yeah, and I, I know exactly I, what you're talking about. Just like, wait. Hey, it's all blah, 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 and it's all up here, and I'm really, really squeaky, and I don't want to hear that. Like a, like a cheerleader telling you about the pep rally on Friday. Like, oh, enough. Yeah. Enough enthusiasm. Right. And it was hard to think of what to say, because when I want to go into that voice, I want to do the call letters of the station. <laughs> I had to do that on, and I'm not going <laughs> right, to do that. Right. And then there's always the, you know, the album rock station where the chick is sounding real sexy. Hey, bubba, bubba, you know, and it's like, right. well, I don't want to listen to that either. Coming up, we're going to so play I'm the perfect. Stones. You know, this is the right. cut that they wrote with Craig Ferguson. <laughs> right, right. Here's, <laughs> that. here's the Rolling Stones with Craig Ferguson. <laughs> and it's like, I don't really want to hear that either. So I purposely, at the beginning of my career, said, I am going to shoot for right in between those two. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do either of those. I'm going to try to be right in between those two so that I don't annoy women. That's important. And it, right. And it seemed to work. It's half the audience. Right. Yeah. And like I, because I myself didn't want, and I have a different, I've realized I have a different sort of voice. I was talking with Dan Dunlap, who I spent a lot of time on. He was on Wish at the same time I was. He is now also out of radio. Um, and like, he has a very, you know, voice of God, announcery kind of. Right. Voice, yeah. It's really it's, well. it's a lower register, very bassy, that kind of feel. Right. And he does very good with voiceovers because if you want that announcery guy, he's yep. it. Yep. Yeah. If well, you're if it's a uh, if it's a car lot or not, well, maybe not a hard sell, you know, car lot, but like if you just want that good tag at the end, you know, call, you know, Clocko, Clocko, and Associates for. <laughs> For your injury uh, claim or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, most women don't have any any sort of voice like that. And I have a generic enough voice that most women don't do liners and things like that. And I think I actually could. Liners being the things you hear on a station. You know, right. That the, 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 uh, aren't the, job. the imaging. You know, if it's not a song, not a jock, it's the one that's just going, uh, you know, 100.5, Womp FM, you know. Right. So, yeah. Right. It's I, I, I agree. It's a random generic voice. Mm-hmm. I agree. You could and, definitely do that. And you've done a lot of voice work, though. You've done a lot I of- I have in the past. And you've done- Last uh, year- You've done, like, you, you've read, like, books and, and, and stuff like that, too, right? You've done audiobooks? Yeah, last year I did my first audiobook. I was the voice of a psychologist. I was supposed to be her. And pretty much I spent two weeks in what I called my Harry Potter studio because it was in under the stairs. Um, <laughs> my studio under the stairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it spent pretty much about two weeks because it, it was a rush order and it was a full-length book. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. You get really bleary-eyed. And then you have to, like, at one point there was the voice of Jesus. She was saying that Jesus was speaking. So... I had to come up with a way to make that sound okay. <laughs> so, so you like, had to do I, the psychologist voice and you had to do a Jesus voice? Well, yeah, because <laughs> she in the book was saying that she had she had meditated and spoken to Jesus, and this is what Jesus said. So, so the listener 
who is not reading the book knows that it's Jesus's voice, I had to make it a little bit different. Can you give me so an example could... of what Jesus's voice sounded like? Oh, God. Just so whenever I get to the pearly gates, I've been like, heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think I did it more like just very sort of calm and soft and, you know, this is what you need to do. Oh. And well, so I was just like, kind of calm if Jesus is coming to me in a meditation, I really want yeah. him to sound like Craig Ferguson. <laughs> It'd be like, dude, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> but then if you he sounded to... like Craig Ferguson, he'd have to have a Scottish accent. <laughs> right. You need to change your life, man. <laughs> <laughs> dude, or Keith Richards is going to get on your case. <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, when was the last time that you worked full-time on the radio? A year ago, September. I was let go September 14th of 2018. Whenever been on the air since. Whenever I was telling my buddy that I was going to be talking with Leah, he thought it was the, the Leah that is the syndicated Leah, which was something that you, you always got like um, associated with or confused with because there's a syndicated Leah who is also on like froggy stations at night and she goes by Leap and Leah. So very confusing for... Yeah, and I used to get her emails. People to... <laughs> were emailing her, right. but getting mine. Um, <laughs> well, and, and as you know, there's a... The froggy stations duplicate names. Oh, of course. Um, so there are several Leap and Leahs all over the place. There is the syndicated one, but there are also others. Now, my real name just happened to also be Leah. Are you from Pittsburgh? You, I am from Pittsburgh. What what neighborhood of Pittsburgh? I grew up in Shaler. Okay, so this explains why your sentences were finishing with questions. Yes. Your, your statements were ending up. Because... Yes. I never realized that I spoke that way too, because, you know, I grew up around the Pittsburgh area and that it's just that Pittsburgh ease of like, um, you're having pierogies today. Yeah. You know, what, what do you, what? but that is a question sort of, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a question by inflection. <laughs> right. So what, what were you, well, then give me an example of what, how you were speaking. Uh, I'd have to, um, so if you're going downtown, Maybe you should think about visiting. I, I, it's even hard to do. Uh, you know, hey, I went downtown and I went to Gimble. Gimble. <laughs> or okay. horns. Like, everything went up. Not even just, like, oh, an okay. inflected question. Okay. You know, it's hard for me to do because it took me a long time to hear it. And once I got rid of it, I haven't done it. Yeah. And as you remember, I can't even do a Pittsburghese accent. When I needed one uh -huh. for a, a monologue I was doing, I had to get you to record it. <laughs> And then you had, had to, to listen to it. Yep. <laughs> Everyone would always say that I had the, this like great Pittsburghese accent. And I'm like, I just talk like my dad. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> imitating my dad. And I, I'm so upset that I didn't just like see the gold mine in that and start doing Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh dad. dad. I mean, mm -hmm. I could have done, I mean, it's so, it's like a second language it, that I can just dive into um, my so wife, uh, Oh, Hey, just cl clear. Hey, real quick. Let me tell you this. Um, my, I'll just, I'll tell you the stories. I'll, I'll tell you this story in Pittsburghese. Yes, um, please. 
So uh, my wife and her friends are meeting up. We're about to go to their uh, high school reunion. At, and, um, and I'm getting introduced to all of her high school friends. And we're having like a little pre-party at her friend's house. And, you know, we were having a couple pops, having a couple drinks. And I, I get introduced to her friend's husband. And he goes, yeah, I'm from the burg. And I go, get out. Where are you from in Pittsburgh? And he's like, well, I grew up in the North Hills. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So we start talking in Pittsburgh. He's back and forth. He's going, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Are you going down North Shore? Are you going to be watching the stars this weekend? And I'm like, oh, my God. I, don't, I ain't got that kind of money anymore. Pay for parking down there. So and I could not turn it off <laughs> for like... I could not turn it off the entire night. Like it, as soon as, as soon as you dive into it, it was just so hard to like pull myself out. It was like, it was like I jumped into a pool. My clothes are soaking wet and now I just can't wring it out. Like there's, it's just right. on me now, you know? Yep. You can't get, can't get out of the Pittsburgh. See, I, I have trouble doing it. There's mm-hmm. a, one of my side jobs is I'm a, a simulated patient at the med school. So, you play different characters and you ad lib within the character. So the one character is supposed to speak in a Pittsburghese accent, and I can't ad lib in a Pittsburghese accent. So that's the only accent it. that I can ad lib in. <laughs> well, I can't ad lib. Period. <laughs> Unless I'm talking in Pittsburghese, because Pittsburghese has all of those like phrases that just carry you on to the next sentence. You know, of, she do it does, but like I can, I end up doing the character as being from Brooklyn because, you know, yeah, I can, I can do the Brooklyn thing. Yeah, you know, it's a whole different kind of accent. But it's I got can that, do you get that, that moxie. Yeah, yeah, but I can't, I can't do Pittsburghese to save my life. It's so crazy that you grow, you grew up in Pittsburgh. You've really lived in Pittsburgh. You're pretty much your whole life, right? I have my whole life. Yeah. So, and the fact that you just can't do it is like you're an anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and growing up, I didn't, there weren't many words that I said in a Pittsburghese fashion. My parents, the things that my parents said in Pittsburghese, instead of legal, beagle, and eagle, it was wiggle, biggle, and iggle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, read up the house in hundred. Hundred. And windowsill. Yeah, but windowsill. other than that, What else windowsill. is it? What is it? What, what, how else is it supposed to be pronounced? I'm kidding. Windowsill. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> You know what? You know what story I always tell about you is. Well, oh, go, oh, please. <laughs> no, no. This was a time that you corrected something that I was saying. Oh no! <laughs> and it was. It was. Um, I kept saying uh, the the wild animal, the wolf, the wolf, the wolf oh. out in the woods, the wolf. And you're like, <laughs> I've never, I've never. <laughs> I don't think in the three years that I worked with you, the the most angry that you you ever were is whenever you were like, it's wolf. Look at my tongue. It's wolf. There's a wolf. There's an L in wolf. And I was like, okay. <laughs> You're like, this lady's crazy. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah. Wolf. wolf. Not wolf. And I've never, I, I've never said wolf. I've never said wolf like ever again. <laughs> if I, every time that I say the word wolf, it is with that L because I, I have 
Leah Clocko in the back of my mind, her arms folded, her eyes wide, just like it's wolf. <laughs> Like, like, like a like an English teacher that just slapped my knuckles with a ruler. Well, it's because you were so good on the air, and that was just so glaring. I was like, this has to be fixed. That was one thing that I I remember you pointing out in my delivery too. Is you were like, you just seem so so natural that you're able to just kind of go and 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 carry whatever the break is, whatever you're talking about. You just kind of. It's it's more of a natural thing because I remember those air checks that you had, you know, prior to Froggy, where the you know your the the PD the program director was like, you know, you you have to get this done in six seconds and don't use any verbs and don't use any adjectives and it was just like how do you how, how do you yep. formulate breaks like that you know? Well, and it had to be like bump 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 bump. Here's another great oldie. Like I mean. Another great oldie. If you're washing your car, here's an oldie. Like, it was just that stilted. And so it took me a long time to be able to be conversational and friendly again. I actually learned a lot of that working when I would fill in on the morning show working with Jimmy Roach. Oh, can we talk about Jimmy Roach and how I probably should have made that first episode or the first season, like, 12 episodes? Like, just given... Just made season one the Jimmy Roach season. I mean, right. I so when you would fill in for Wendy, who is his his co-host, what about Jimmy? Kind of like brought that conversation out with it, it, on the air. Well, that's just the way he is. Like the way he is in person is the way he is on the air, and he would just talk. Like, he wouldn't let anyone push him into a corner into doing, you know, stilted things. He just held a conversation with with guests, uh, with me, even if we were talking about the weather. And I learned, I had to relearn how to do that, and I learned it from him. There is a, because, a certain there is a certain art to that. Like, if you ever listen to Howard Stern or even some of the, 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 um, the late-night hosts— uh, I know Seth Myers has brought that up before is he was given advice whenever he first got the late night and it was, uh, or the late, late night or whatever it is um, that never interview anybody have conversations. And there, yeah. there is a, there is a fine line there between having a conversation and having an interview, because if you play it right, the conversation can flow right to the question that you want to ask next or it doesn't and then some real magic happens yeah well and the other and i learned that so i did a video show on cable for a long time interviewing different bands as a matter of fact and you probably don't know this i am in the pearl jam movie Where, where's the pearl jam movie so Where? the pearl jam put out a movie called 20 for their 20th anniversary okay and a friend of mine was like, um, did you ever interview Pearl Jam? Because if not, you have a doppelganger. So I was not even aware that I was in the movie. But I begin the movie. The first interview they do is me. And then I'm 45 minutes in. Um, and the reason they used that interview is they had gone. It was at the beginning of their career. Their first album was out. They had gone on stage with the Smashing Pumpkins, but they were dressed as women. So Eddie Vedder was in little pink shorts and he had makeup on and they were calling him, the band was calling him Edwina. Okay. 
And so they used this interview. And the clip they used at 45 was me asking them something like, what's the craziest thing that ever happened to you on the road? But, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was a sidebar. I used to do this video show. Right. The, I, I never knew that you did. So what channel was it on? It was on the Community Access Channel here oh, okay. in Pittsburgh and yeah. in Columbus. Really cool. Yeah. I interviewed I interviewed Pearl Jam. I interviewed Joan Jett. I interviewed Warrant, um, uh, Ted Nugent, and Tommy Shaw from, uh, oh, what's the name of that band? It was Ted Nugent, Tommy Shaw, and Jack Blade, uh, Damn Yankees. Okay. Somewhere there's a video clip of me standing between Ted Nugent and Tommy Shaw. I'm in a miniskirt and boots, and the two of them are discussing the fact that they invented the miniskirt and boots. Oh, <laughs> what's that sound? Somewhere there's a video clip of that. Uh, so how did, so you started in, in radio. Are you doing this public access show while doing radio? I was, Okay. Yeah. Okay, so what station were you on at the time? Because it, it sounds like you were interviewing a lot of rock uh, artists. Well, and I didn't set up the interviews. Uh, I had a producer who uh, used to work with, um, he was like a road manager for like Tommy James and some other folks. And so he had all the record label connections and he would set up the interviews. Got it. And then I would just do them. Um, and he was a friend of an old friend and it was like through channels, like just through randomness that I got the gig somebody else had been hosting the show they brought me in to do like a calendar they would do like a you know this week so and so is playing here and the next time i went to do that they're like oh yeah you're the host now i was like what <laughs> like the other person just left and i was like okay <laughs> and that's how i ended up on the show yeah so i interviewed a ton of people it was awesome so let's uh, th let's talk about like that experience and interviewing people and when we were talking about the interviewing versus a, a, having a conversation. Um, well, that's, that's kind of why I went there. So I became, a, I, be, I actually heard back that I was known for being like an interview that they liked because I tried not to ask the same questions that they answered 42 billion times on yeah, every interview. Right. But also I listened because there was one interview, I don't remember now who I was interviewing, but I actually wrote down questions and it was the worst interview I ever did. I never did that again. I would research and I would have questions in the back of my head to ask if the conversation stalled. Right. But I would never, ever write them down because I remember seeing, it was like way back in the days of Johnny Carson or somebody, and somebody was hosting a late night show and they had a guest on and the guest said something outrageous. Like, you know, it was a musician there to promote the new album. They're like, well, yeah, I, you know, uh, I, I'm working on a new album, but you know, there was that time my mother jumped off the roof and the interviewer, instead of going, what do you mean your mother jumped off the roof? Tell me about that. Right. They just the jumped went, to the next question. They just went, and so um, where did you record the new album? Mm. And I was watching it going, I want to know about his mother that jumped off the roof. I felt the same way whenever I was just talking to Jimmy Roach and I felt like I, I didn't waste the opportunity because he was like, oh yeah, I used to, uh, I used to work at the prisons or I used to work at a prison, you know, and I used to like, and I go, well, what, what, wait a second, what, a, what, you know what I mean? So like you said, interviewing is really that, that conversation because normally in a conversation, you're just, it's not waiting for your turn to talk as most radio people do. 
<laughs> just right. in, just in our personal lives too. Um, not waiting for your chance to talk, but listening to what the person's saying, reacting to it, and allowing the the conversation to flow. So if you're so if you're interviewing Pearl Jam or Joan Jett or the damn Yankees, you know they're they're picking up on your energy. The fact that you're just like I just want to I just want to have a conversation. I just want to talk. You know, it's and whatever good comes out of it, we'll be able to use for the show. Um, which really kind of fell into a trap whenever I was in radio of, I would do an interview and, you know, you'd hear your program director go, well, you, you need to be able to split up that interview and play two minutes yeah. here and three minutes there and four minutes here and, you know, play like a bunch of songs in between. And my interviews never went that way. Mine were always, mine. mine were always like these podcasts. I would sit and talk, right. I'd sit and talk to somebody for 20 minutes and I'm like, well, you know, the thing that I mentioned at 15 minutes in really tied into what I was talking about at four minutes in. So uh -huh. how do I cut this and edit this to make it these, you know, these bits that I can carry on throughout a, an entire show? So whenever I became program director and I would do an interview, I would just play the whole interview because nobody else is going <laughs> to tell. Right. Have power. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, I'm just going to play this whole interview because it all ties in together. I could take out some of the, you know, the, the lulls in the, in the conversation, but I would just right. play the whole thing. Cause I'm like, you know, maybe somebody has got a 20 minute commute. I can hook them for 20 minutes with this, right. with this conversation with, you know, Lee Bryce or Thompson square or whoever, you know, really get to know these artists other than, you know, what's your favorite color? Blue. All right. Here's a Thompson Square song. And then it's like, oh. yeah, I never got that. I don't. Yeah, that's accepted now, but I don't like it either. Yeah, I, I prefer long form. I feel like that's why podcasts are becoming way more popular is that you can mm -hmm. do deeper dives into a person's life, a person's story. So right. And, I, and a good interview, like a good interview with, say, a, a country star or whoever if it's a good interview, you want to keep talking to them and find out more. And no, they want to keep talking to you. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and so here's another thing. So my, my new favorite band is a band called Delta Ray. They are fabulous. Nice people. I've met them. They were marketing them a country for a while. They're now independent again, working on some new albums. But they, I, I wanted to do the VIP experience where you pay a little more and you go backstage and you get like a little acoustic concert and then you get that you can email them questions right so i emailed like four or five questions figuring you know they'll pick one so i'm sitting in this vip with 30 other people and of the i think they of the five questions they answered four of them were mine <laughs> so which questions did you ask oh gosh uh one was about um being so they had just been released asked asked to be released from their label they were on big machine okay so that this is this is delta ray that's r a e yes okay and they're there are they uh two front female singers well they have four lead singers okay so the band is um two brothers and a sister and their friends okay. and then they have you know bass drums they have it's a set lineup. So it's but almost like a, singers. like a little big town kind of harmony. Yeah. 
Okay. Little Big Town meets um, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah, that sounds good. With a, with a lot of the witchy sound of Stevie Nicks, uh-huh. and I love that witchy. Okay. But all their voices are incredible. Like each one of them has a fantastic voice. So they but were, anyway, they were answering your questions. Right. And I think what it is, is people, uh, so the one question I asked was about, you know, what was it like being at a big record label? You know, you left, was there a problem? And, and they made it, the answer was really nice, which was, you know, there are a lot of fans we wouldn't have if we had not been on that label. And I am, I am one. I discovered them when I was playing them. Yeah. I played their song. We were playing a long and happy life. And I was like, well, Delta Ray, is that a person like Delta Dawn or is it a band? So I had to look it up to see what it was. Mm-hmm. And so I Googled them and fell in love with the band. My other, my, I, so I asked about their label. I asked them to tell me the background on a song. I can't remember what the third question was, but the fourth question. So the band has a song called Dance in the Graveyard. When I die, I don't want to rest in peace. I want to dance in joy. I want to dance in the graveyard. The thing is, I've noticed in seeing things that they post on Instagram, like there was some man, they posted a man dancing on stage with them in the rain. Some place they were playing, it was raining, so they invited fans up on stage. People were dancing, and this guy was dying. And he told them, you know, like their music made it so much better. So he told them his whole story of dying. Well, when I met them, I played their song and discovered the band a week after a good friend of mine passed away. And the first song that I Googled was Dance in the Graveyard. Well, after I picked myself up off the floor of the radio studio, right? <laughs> um, I listened to other things the band had done, and I loved all their music. But the question I asked of them was, a lot of people, like myself, come to the band through loss because I had seen other people tell them their stories. Mm-hmm. I, and I had told them mine when I met them. And I said, is it ever overwhelming? And Ian, the, who wrote the song Dance in the Graveyard, said, no, it's healing. Hmm. Because he wrote the song after a mentor of his passed away and after a friend of his committed suicide, which is what my friend did. Hmm. So he said, it's healing. And they answered all my questions, and I think the reason why is people who do not do interviews for a living, like we do, probably ask, you know, what's your favorite song? <laughs> Who's your favorite singer? Like, things that they answer over and over. Right. Because I can't imagine that nobody else of those 30 people emailed them questions. Or if they, did, think if they did email them questions, they probably weren't diving into that deep. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like, it's the equivalent of like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite song? Who, you know. Where are you from? Right. <laughs> so I think they answered my questions because they were, it was like, I would love to sit down and interview this band, but they were answering interview type questions that were meant to have a big discussion. Are there any other bands like Delta Ray or any other artists? And it, it, you could take a second to think about it that you thought, man, this is like either an underappreciated artist or they're going to make it big. And they never really did. 
do you are there any of those acts that oh. you still follow or you did you know pretty, really fall in love with and then they just kind of disappeared pretty much all of my favorite bands <laughs> and artists I, i'm i'm not even kidding i had this conversation with a music teacher at a high school recently and um delta ray is one um they are underappreciated but they did a gofundme that happened to coincide with taylor swift making her announcement about how independent artists you know, don't own their music. So Delta Ray was trying to raise $30,000. Their GoFundMe raised $450,000. Delta Ray's? They are, Delta yeah. Ray's GoFundMe raised $450,000? And it's, they were only trying wanted, to go for thirty. Yep, they were trying to raise 30000 in 60 days. But their announcement happened to come, totally coincidentally, the same day that Taylor Swift did her whole spiel about record labels owning music. Yes. And so a lot of the Swifties, the Taylor Swift fans, supported Delta Ray because they were an independent band. They raised $30,000 in 30 minutes. Wow. In the two months, they raised $450,000, which basically means their dreams, they said their dreams are financed for the rest of their life. Oh, absolutely. They said, which I didn't know till afterward, after the GoFundMe closed, they said if they had not raised that $30,000 in that 60 days, they were going to say, you know what? It's been a great 10 years as a band, but we must not be meant to do this. And they were going to quit. Well, what other bands uh, of yours? You were talking about high school teacher. Yeah, there's a guy named Michael McDermott. He's out of Chicago. He had a major label record deal years ago. I saw him open for, um, till Tuesday, Amy Mann. Okay. In Pittsburgh at Rosebud. And he was so good. That by the time Amy Mann went on stage, I didn't care if I saw her or not. <laughs> right. I mean, I like Amy Mann. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm a huge Michael McDermott fan. He also is working on a new album. Um, but he's out of Chicago. He does not have a major label deal anymore. Um, he's out of Chicago. And I thought he, at the time, was going to be really big. He had some some play on like MTV a little bit. Um, and then nothing. Because hmm. the guy that believed in him jumped labels. And I think Michael McDermott went with him, and then the guy, like, he just got lost in the major label. It's really, it's really like a perfect storm for artists to to make it. You know, it, yeah. it like everything really has to fall in line. It's got to be the label. It's got to be the fans. It's got to be timing. It's got to be the sound that works for that time. You know what I mean? It's it the the, yeah. the songs have to connect in a way that no other songs are connecting at the time. I mean, it really has to be like a, a whole house of cards. And if one of those is one of those pieces is missing, you know, it could it really topple. And it, like say, so what year is, is this Michael McDermott doing his, his touring with Amy Mann? You know what? Like, oh, like roughly. That had to be in the, In the 90s, maybe? Okay, so it's the 90s. Radio stations are still relatively independently owned. So, you know, you don't have big conglomerates. So, you know, for Michael... Like McD- also don't have internet really yet. Exactly. Just- you know, for people to like search and find that kind of stuff. So, you know, and, and like local artists have asked me this, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir to tell you, but our listeners might think that that might not have an understanding of how does a song get on the radio? 
And if you ask that question in 1992, it's a completely different answer from 2019. It is, it is, it is, it's like opposite ends of the spectrum. Because if you're asking that question in 1992, you've got, it's, it's all bottom up. You've got a groundswell of fans that are loving and buying this record and, you know, buying up concert tickets and they're following this band and they're printing their own t-shirts and they're selling, you know, they're buying all the merchandise. So it's a real groundswell record reps are getting word of this band or, or act and they get behind them. They start the, you know, a, more of a tour and it's more of a grassroots, you know, organizing. And that's how that song gets on the radio, or it's a really good local artist and it starts getting played in Wheeling. And then it gets picked up in Steubenville and then it gets picked up in Youngstown and maybe Cleveland and then Columbus. And, it, and you know what I mean? It, it It's more of a regional thing. So it, it, it there's a, a, a grassroots groundswell well, yeah. to it, but that's how Bob Seeger became famous. He could sell out. He was from Detroit. He could sell out like the arena in Detroit. Nobody else knew who he was. Right. But that's how Seeger happened. Um, yeah, and it was a different. It was different back then. But I mean, still, even with that groundswell, you know, in Chicago, I believe at the time Michael McDermott was really big. But even with that, if you don't have somebody at the label that's in your corner, there's so many acts on the label that you could fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And he did. Yeah. And he's still fantastic. He's still making music, and he, he did a side project called um, The Westies with his wife, um, which is also good. Uh, but like some I of my other... Yeah, they did They did some great stuff. Um, he, he's sort of Springsteen-esque. Right. That's the closest. Singer, um, songwriter, like rock folk leaning. Yeah, yeah, like Springsteen. Yeah, you know, can do the more rock and stuff, but can do an acoustic thing. Yes. Um, I also love a guy named Danny Vaughn. He in back in the early '90s, he fronted a band called Taiketto, which was one of the hair bands. You know, MTV played them some, but his voice is, in my opinion, I love Steve Perry. Danny's voice is even better, and I have loved Danny. I traveled all the way to England to see Danny sing. That's right. That's yep. right. I remember. remember that? Yes, I remember when you went to England to see him. Mm-hmm. And he just put out a new album called Myths, Myths, Legends, and Lies. And it's getting some response on the, it's getting great reviews and getting some response on the Americana mm. um, chart right now. So Dan, um, Danny Vaughn. D-A-U-G-H-N. And there's mm-hmm. two Danny Vaughns. There's a Canadian guy. That's not him. Okay. It's a long-haired long-haired dude with a Steve Perry type voice. And that's your and type. Isn't that your writer. type? Like long-haired dude? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know that I right. can't help it. Every man looks better with long hair. That's just my opinion. <laughs> well, that's my wife. Won't let me, uh, cut, uh, our son's hair. And I'm like, I'm, I'm cool with it because you know, I, I shave, Good. I shave my head now. Because I just it like the entire top would just was like um, I'm piecing out. Uh, it's been uh, nice. well, you know, sometimes you got to right. Uh, but I'm like, hey, if if I got maybe 32 years with my hair, I was like, I want him to have like 32 good years with hair. I was like, nice. just 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 grow this thing. Who cares? Well, right. Yeah, we'll wash it. I, I, I'm, I'm with your wife. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. 
Yeah. Good job. Um, um, some of the other bands that I like, uh, David Wilcox, who has built a career of just being an independent artist. There's lots of folk, lots of guitarists really like David Wilcox, but he's a folky storyteller kind of guy. Um, and there was one more that I have forgotten, I think. Hmm. But those are, yeah, those are my favorites. Like nobody you ever really, oh, David Wilcox and, um, and country-wise right now, Kip Moore is my favorite. He's not, like he does have a major label. He is getting major attention. But he's extremely good. He's one of my favorites. And he doesn't necessarily play the game like the other country acts do. He does not. He In he's fact, like, I'm gonna put out an album whenever I feel like putting out an album. I'm gonna go I'm out gonna on tour whenever kind of I, I wanna go out on tour. It's mm-hmm. yeah, he's not he's not just well, I got to crank out an album and do a tour and then crank out an album and do a tour. He's just like, if I want to go to Hawaii and surf for surf. five months, I'm just going to do that. Yeah. And when he plays, the thing that impresses me about anybody uh, that sings is songs that mean something to them. And his songs mean something to him. Uh, Little Big Town, most of their songs do. Now, the album that made it biggest for them with pontoon on it, that was kind of, to me, sounded prepackaged. Yes. That wasn't, agreed. to me, their best work, but it was their biggest hit. And then after that, they were able to do what they wanted. Yeah, sometimes you have to do the pop so you can do the art. Mm-hmm. It's the, the, pop, yep. the pop pays for the art. So I can't fault artists for doing something that no. might not feel right, but it gets you the money so you can do more of the art stuff and you could do more of the stuff that feels more genuine because otherwise you're just a starving artist. Right. You and know? nobody's hearing your music. Nobody's yep. hearing Sometimes it. You got to do it. Yeah. You got to be able to hook them in with, uh, she thinks my tractor's sexy before you can, you know, really make them feel something with me and you or the good right. stuff and that kind of, yep. that kind of thing. Well, now, Chachi, who are you? Do you have artists that you like that you thought would make it that other people don't know? Do you remember um, Froggy used to have artists come in all the time? And, you know, some of those some of those guys and and girls that came in, I really thought that they were talented. And 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 in those um, visits, um, you know, it would really just be. It would really just be me, the program director, the VP of programming at the time, just sitting around listening to them. And, you know, the PD, the VP, they've got things, they've got places to go. They got people to talk to. I'm just waiting around for seven o'clock, you know, like I didn't really have very much to do. So I could, um, I could like hang out, yeah, hang out, talk with them for a little bit. And I remember one guy, I can't even remember his name right now, which doesn't really help him at all but he 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 sang a song and i was like man this 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 song i'm thinking in my head reminds me of um a book called uh into the wild where it it was turned into a movie too about a uh a a guy named uh, christopher christopher mccandless who graduated uh college burned all his money drove his car across the country until it was swept away in like a flash flood and he just started tramping around the country. And for some reason, while this guy's playing the song, I'm like, man, this reminds me of that book. 
because that book, I always thought that that book was so dangerous for, for a personality like mine, because I'm like, well, this guy can do it. He can just burn all of his money, get out on the road, start hitchhiking and just, just get off the grid. He can do it. I can do it. I know I could do it. Like, so I was like, you know what I mean? Like it was a, it was a, it was a book that meant a lot to me. And mm-hmm. he's playing this song and I'm like, man, this reminds me of this book. And he gets done and he's, and I was like, well, tell me about how you even, you know, wrote that song. And he goes, I was inspired by this book called into the wild. And I oh, was wow. like, get the hell out of here. I was like, that's the exact book and movie I was thinking of whenever you were playing. And he's like, wow. Right. He was like, he was like, I pitched that song for the soundtrack and it got really close to, you know, making it. And he was like, it never got picked up, but, um, it, those were just those types of conversations that we had in those rooms, you know, yeah. where, where it wasn't like, okay, well, where are you off to next? And, you know, what do you eat when you're out on the road? It was like, it, it real, felt conversations. real conversations, real deep stuff. And I, I'm, I'm always so, so, uh, inspired or curious about how a song comes to be. Mm-hmm. how it becomes written, how the music gets accompanied with it. And when it comes from that metaphysical place, you know, just that thing that's floating around out there in the wind. And then all of a sudden it gets into your head and onto paper and then on the guitar. And then next thing you know, you've got a million downloads. You've got thousands of people singing it back to you on stage, how it, mm-hmm. how that, you know, because some of the, if you talk to some artists, and I'm sure that you you had this come up a lot with the amount of interviews that you did, because we haven't even talked about the fact that you did all of the hometown country um, mm. segments on Froggy, is the the fact that like some of the best songs are written within like five ten minutes. Right. They're just like boom. I don't like. I don't know. It just came to me, and I just started writing. There, there's a book called Written in My Soul. It's hard to find. But it was, they talked with like Tom Petty, Sting, I forget who else was in the book. Um, but Sting said in the book that it's like there's a river of songs like floating around out there and every once in a while you just reach up and pull one down. Like he doesn't know why it works or where it comes from. But it's like they're out there and you just get lucky, reach up, pull one down. Huh. It's like, it's like so catching, it's, it's like catching a fish. Yeah. So you're just throwing yeah. lines out there, throwing lines out there, nothing ever bites, and then bam, you get something. And and that's my problem, too, when I meet famous people and I'm not interviewing them. I almost hate to meet them when I'm not interviewing them because they don't have time to talk to me. Right. You know, it's a quick meet, hello, nice to meet you, love your music, move on. And, like, especially when I've met Kip Moore, I really want to talk to him about, like, his songs, his music, because he has so much to say, and he'd be a great interview. I never got to interview him. And to say, hi, great to see you. Yeah, it's going to be great. Like, I feel like, oh, this is just stupid. So, right. Because, yeah, you don't have time. You're just, you're just shaking hands. I remember the the one interview that I always wanted was Brad Paisley because we grew up around the same area, you know, right. Northern Panhandle, West Virginia. I wanted to talk to him about DiCarlo's pizza and football rivalries and, you know, what, whatever else would come up about talking about the Valley. And I just never got that interview, but I met him whenever he came to Hershey and I was like, 
I'm from West Virginia. You know, I've been drinking. I'm like, I'm from West Virginia too. You know I mean? I'm just like, it just came out as like just annoying drunk dude. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't the the type of the interview or the conversation I wanted to have. Yeah. That's how I feel like with Kip Moore. It comes out as like just another female fan going, oh, I really love your music. Okay. Let's take a picture. All right. Great. You know, and like I walk away going stupid. Like you just feel dumb. The the only <laughs> meet and greet that I've ever had uh, that felt like an actual meet and greet, not just a picture opportunity, was mm-hmm. with uh, Margot Price. Do you know Margot Price? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I contact her record rep and I'm like, I'd love to meet her. Does she do a meet and greet? And the rep was like, nobody knows her. They're like, they don't, she doesn't do meet and greets because nobody wants to do a meet and greet with her. She's just like, but she was, but she was opening up for, uh, Chris Stapleton. And I was like, well, I'd love to go backstage and just introduce myself. I was like, I, I play some of her songs, you know, every so often, whenever I feel like it, you know, being the program director again, you can throw songs on there. that, Right. So, um, I, uh, Lauren and I are backstage and we're just having a beer shooting the shit with her. And it was, nice. it was one of the, it was the only meet and greet uh, other than um, one with uh, Toby Keith one time that felt like I was actually having a conversation. It was, it Bill was. Bill Bastard's meet and greets. He takes the time to talk to people. Oh yeah. So that's the one that I can think of that. Yeah. It feels like more than a meet and greet. You can chat with him. He takes the time. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about your your hometown country for a second. Um, okay. Because how many years did you do that? I mean, you did that for a decade or more. Well, pretty much the whole time. I did. I think I did. We used to do one hour specials, and I think I did like ten of those. So we did like one a year or something. And then, and Froggy uh, in Pittsburgh was really the only station that's playing local music at the time regularly. Right. Right. And now, and then it morphed into, I would do just the songs. I would um, put an intro and outro on the songs. Yeah. Meaning like any time the song played, it would be, and you know, Froggy's hometown country, here's so-and-so with this song. Yeah. And it was great being involved. That's one of the things I miss not being on the air is not really being able to support local music in any way. I have to say that, that that segment really inspired me whenever I went to Parkersburg and whenever I was here in Harrisburg of like really reaching out to local artists and getting them involved in, in, in anything that I could, you know? And I, I feel like because I've done that, I've gotten more, I got more positive response from the local music scene. You know what I mean? They're like, this guy is supporting local artists. We need to support him. Maybe I didn't get enough, obviously, but (laughs) <laughs> well, but, but, you know, most stations don't support. And I know when Froggy let me go, for a while there, they weren't doing any hometown country. They stopped. Now I've noticed they have put some back with somebody else's voice intro and outroing them. That's good. But um, So yeah, you, can still, you can still listen to Froggy? I do on occasion to see what's going on. Yeah. Like, I, I have my issues with it, but it's still... You know, I'll I'll pass by to see because most of the people on there I still know, and they're all great people. So um, I just can't bring myself to put on the radio station here. I'm like, well, and it's and it's also only been yeah about two months. Yeah, so yeah. it's been a year for me. I didn't listen at first, right? 
It just feels like, yeah, maybe it, maybe a little bit of time. It just feels like, um, it feels like, uh, I, I wrote a book and everybody's reading the book. And if I flip over to it, I'm like, yeah, I wrote that. You know what I mean? Like everything, yeah, everything that's on the station is still everything that I wrote and, you know, either I produced or I gave to somebody else to produce. So it just feels like, um, like an ex-girlfriend. Like I'm like, "Eh, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't need to call her. I don't need to, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. That's, that's a good description. Yeah. It's like an ex-boyfriend. You're like, I wasted so much time on you. Okay, I don't need to, I don't need to go back there. But but I don't need to. The the what I what I meant to ask about hometown country is, you know, you being able to give a voice to a lot of these local artists. Are there any of them that really made it? In your in not necessarily like wow they're you know they're Luke Bryan status, but you know what I mean? Made it to the point of like, wow, you know what? I got my song on Froggy in Pittsburgh. Maybe I'll roll the dice and go to Nashville and see what happens. Well, I mean, as you know, probably lots of Pittsburgh natives went to Nashville. Some of them are now semi-famous. Of course, Dave Pahanish was one of our hometown country artists, and he wrote number ones for like um, Keith Urban and like he's, Jimmy he's Allen. Did he write the songs for? Jimmy, am I saying that? Jimmy, Jimmy Wayne. Jimmy Wayne, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and one for Keith Urban, and there's been a bunch. And then uh, in Alan Jackson's band, his fiddle player, uh, Ryan, oh, what's he going by? Ryan Joseph. That's, uh, Joseph's actually his middle name, but okay. he was one of our hometown country artists, and he's now Alan Jackson's fiddle player. Oh, okay. Lord Thurston was a local hometown country artist. He went to Nashville, spent so much time playing guitar. He's like a... I I don't know if he's playing with anybody's band. He pops up now and then with different famous people bands. But basically, he is so good at guitar. I believe he's like... One of the, one of the guitar companies hired him to like promote their product. Oh, okay. Um, last I heard. Um, so that's a few. There are a lot of hometown country artists that are in Nashville, Vanessa Campagna, who we played when she was like 12, is down there doing stuff. I haven't kept track of exactly what, but she's sort of bubbling just under being famous down there. So there's quite a few. Vanessa, um, I used to always call her my little sister because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm on Froggy, which was extremely, extremely rare of like syndicated four frequencies and I'm like 23, 24 years old. Right. You know. Right. And and I was like the closest to her age whenever, you know, I met her. I was like, "You're like my little sister." And she's like, "Yeah, what yep. are you doing on the radio?" you know? And I right. I still am friends with her on on social media and everything. She goes she goes on tour. She's like a backup singer for a, a, a lot of different acts, I think. So yeah, she like you said, she's right there. Um, and, um, and and, and ha- Marie having a career, right? And Bryn Marie for a while um, was touring. She would tour with Pat Benatar and became friends with Pat Benatar. Um, so there's a few that like they're not household names, but they are our hometown country artists that started with Froggy. And then, of course, as I'm sure you remember, Froggy was the first station in the country to play Taylor Swift. Which is something that I can't get anybody 
that I talked to to believe. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah we were we were the one of the first ones to, or the first one to play Taylor Swift. And like, I believe it was the first one because Frank Bell, who was our general manager at the time, knew Taylor, knew Taylor's parents had been on the other side of the state where Taylor grew up, and he played the song. And uh, actually, now he works for Taylor. Yeah, every time because his brother lives in Williamsport. Every time that he goes and sees his brother, uh, we would always have uh, have dinner, me and a, and, nice. and somebody else. Yeah, I've caught up with Frank a, a bunch of times. He's uh, his daughter. I catch up with Frank occasionally his, online. His uh, his daughter just got uh, married. I saw that. Yeah. I saw the pictures. Yeah, I I'll, you know Facebook message him now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the first time I went to see Delta Ray, I was like, I need a I need a backstage pass, and he was helping them out. In, in like the off season, Taylor wasn't doing anything at the time. And so I messaged him like, hey, can you wrangle me a backstage pass? So I went to Baltimore to see Delta Ray. And one thing Delta Ray does at their concerts is uh, for teachers and nurses, you can nominate a teacher or a nurse. And in each city, they pick one to get a free ticket to the show and come backstage and meet them to support what these professions do for everyone. And so I'm standing there to go backstage, and the guy with the clipboard's like, um, who's Leah? I'm like, that's me. He goes, how did you get this pass? I'm like, uh, <laughs> radio channel, you yeah, know. He, yeah. goes, oh. he goes, you're the only person in this old store who got backstage who was the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and and, uh, and F- Frank was always the, the guy that would call the hotline, uh, f- you know, on his way yeah. home from uh, from happy hour or whatever, but Frank is 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 also just a good radio guy. Like he, yeah, he was on the air at one time years ago. Right, he's he he's got a a, a lot of connections. That's for sure. And, um, and knows radio. Like oh, sometimes yeah. you work with people who are in management who've never been on the air a day in their life, and you're like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Frank is the polar opposite of that. Like he has been in the trenches. He's been on the air. He knows music, you know. And Frank and, he, and our boss, Dave, at the time, those were the ones that we were always trying to convince that if the off chance that Jimmy and Wendy were both off, that you and I should host the morning show together. Yes, and I still think we should have. <laughs> we, we absolutely should have. It was We should have just told Jimmy and Wendy, like, call in sick. We'll act like Chachi just, you know, fell asleep at the station. Didn't want to go home, and then we just we just end up doing it. <laughs> like what? Oh. Have, what would have the worst have happened? We both would be out of radio. Gee, and yes, gee, <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there was a time when Froggy was looking for a morning show. I was still working there, and we were trying to convince them to hire you and put us together. Yeah, and they didn't do that. Uh uh-uh. uh And they uh-huh. should have. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, they really should have. <clears throat> but they didn't, and they didn't. I end up moving to Harrisburg and meeting my wife and having two great kids. So you know, sometimes, sometimes, uh, uh, thank God for unanswered prayers. Uh, gee, where have I heard that before? <laughs> you know, another thing that I, I did want to bring up um, is the fact that the entire time that you're doing radio, at least the time that we work together, is you're also doing costuming for. Uh, theater, are, are you yeah. are you still doing that? And and, and still am. T- just talk about that for and how cool that is. 
Well, I, uh, you know, people asked me at one point, you know, how did you get into costuming? I'd always done theater and acting in high, from high school and stuff. And then they were like, well, how did you get into costuming? And I said, I dated an actor, which is really what happened. He was working on a show. I couldn't be in the show because I was on the air. At, at that time, I was, you had gone and I was seven to midnight. Yeah. No, that could be right. No, I was working at. No, you would. Yeah, you wouldn't. It, you were doing costuming whenever we worked together. Yeah, so it was a station I was on before. I guess I was on 3WS, and I was working evenings. So I was working 7 to midnight, and I couldn't do the show. I couldn't be in the show because I couldn't make the performances. So I offered to costume a show for, you know, this guy that I was dating. He was directing, and that's how I started costuming. And I'd always known how to sew, but, you know, you can buy clothes cheaper than you can make them. So I stopped sewing, and then when I started costuming, I found out I liked it. I was good at it. I've been doing it since 1999, and I currently costume for Carlo University, for Shadyside Academy High School, and for East Allegheny High School, and as well as help out at Peters Township. And this past summer, I costumed for Pittsburgh Musical Theater for the first time. Ah. So I do a lot of costuming. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm not, and actually, I'm told that when, after Froggy let me go, somebody was like, somebody at Froggy was like, oh, she'll be fine. She has all those other jobs she does. <laughs> like, well, okay. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. She'll, yeah. She'll, it's always great to hear somebody else say, you'll be fine. Uh, right. I, mm-hmm. just, just ask me if I'm going to be okay. <laughs> you don't have right. to make that assumption. Right. But like, well, gee, thanks for the vote of confidence, but. Whatever. So what are you um, doing now outside of radio? Well, I'm doing a lot of the simulated patient work that I was talking about, um, where uh, the med school and other other medical entities and schools hire you to basically, like there was that Seinfeld episode apparently where somebody was a standard simulated patient. Everybody talks about that. I think that may be the episode that I always go, I worked with a lady that did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it's not quite the way they portray it, but basically, our job is to teach them communication skills. So, they practice on us so that, hopefully, when they get out in the world, they have a better bedside manner. Got it. And we learn a bunch of psychology and skills to make that happen. Because, so because I, they're really, really book smart, and they know yeah. the ins and outs, but also, you've got to have a little bit of nuance whenever it comes to people. Yes, and and understand that an illness generally has an emotion with it. Fear, you know, you know, you're giving someone bad news that they have a really bad disease. You know, they can't hear you tell all the treatments you're going to do because they're still stuck on I've got a horrible disease. You know, yeah, that kind of thing. just the the, um, a, the absolute shock of it. Yeah, yeah, and you learn. I, I've learned a lot. I I, I know just enough about medicine to be, you know, the person going, Oh no, I've got this. You know, like, <laughs> you know, Oh my gosh, these are my symptoms. I must have this. Oh no. You should, um, you should be hired as like, um, like, like a translator for doctors. <laughs> you just kind of, I'm not quite that good. No, no, I no, understand no. Some- <laughs> this is like the, the, the doctor describes what it is or whatever. And then you're just like, listen, this is what they're saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, right. Here's the human side of it. Right. 
I, I understand some medical speak. There are some things that I can figure out what they're talking about yeah. sometimes. But we also learn a lot of psychology, which is great in real life. Lots of lots of the other patients, like I am, uh, use it like on their kids. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet. Do you have any so, have any tips for me? Um. Oh, it would it would take another whole podcast to get into that. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that at another time. But uh, but so I do a lot of that. A lot of costuming. Um. Yeah, I mean, just some of the same jobs I was doing while I was doing radio, and still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. How are the cats? Oh, the cats are fat and sassy. I one is missing right now. Sir Lawrence Folded Ear wandered off about two weeks ago, and I have not seen him. Wait, what, what was the cat's name? <laughs> Sir Lawrence Folded Ear. <laughs> I remember working with a lady in um, Wheeling, and uh-huh. her cat's name was Mr. Mojo Ryzen. <laughs> nice! <laughs> that, was, that, that was a great name for a cat. Somebody's a Doors fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge Doors fan. Um, well, my, my, one of my cats has his own Facebook. Oh, really? Yep. It's if you look on Facebook, it's Zombie Jackson Cat. Zombie Jackson Cat. Mm-hmm. I'm typing it in it's right now. A lot of attitude. Oh yeah, yep. 156 likes make it 157. There you go. <laughs> Zombie is pleased. He is the king. Read if you can see the description. Read the description of who he is. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of uh, blocked off here. Hold on a second. Let me click on the actual page. Okay. Is it on the uh, about section? Yeah. Gotta be. Gotta be. Okay. I am Zombie Jackson, first of his name, King of the Furred and the Feathered, ruler of catnip and breaker of rules. You must bend the knee. <laughs> So, are you a game of Are you a Game of Thrones fan? Yeah. How, how did you How did you like that last season? Oh, jeez. They shot themselves in the foot because. Did you ever watch the TV show Lost? No, I never. I I never got into Lost. Okay, so I did, and I watched it religiously for years, and then the ending was so bad that I never wanted to see it again, and have never watched it if it's on in reruns anywhere. I don't have any desire to watch it. And Game of Thrones, I lived with for 10 years. I love these characters. And that ending was just so bad that I don't ever want to see any of it again. I agree. I agree. I wasn't watching it from the very start. I came in, say, like season five or something like that. And, you know, my wife and I binge watched it. And we were, you know, uh, caught up and we're into it, reading all the blogs, reading all the, you know, reactions online. And, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And that final season was so disappointing. It was like mm-hmm. that nothing that they had set up, like a, it would be like a good comedian setting up a joke, setting up like five good jokes at the beginning of the set and then never finishing them at the yep. end, at the end of the set. It would be like Craig Ferguson talking about the Rolling Stones, but never tying it in later into the show. It was like, why did you do this? And why did you do this? And why'd you do this? Like, for for instance, uh, Arya Stark. If she's if mm-hmm. she's now able to put on all of these faces, why is she not putting on the face later in the season? Later in that final season, w- what was that whole entire part of the show about? It just felt like well, that- so rushed and 
just like that, a big waste of time and money. Yeah, that and the fact that Arya has been driven the whole time, and at the very end, she goes into the city following what's his name, whose name slips me in my mind right now, the mountain. Yeah. No, not the mountain. Uh, yeah. The hound. No, the, um, the hound. And then they get in the city, and he goes, you should go home. And she goes, yeah, I should go home. And she leaves. Like, <laughs> Wait, you didn't kill. You didn't kill Cersei like you wanted. Fulfill your Why destiny. Why did you suddenly listen to him? <laughs> right. And uh, the other thing, and what I've said to people who haven't seen Game of Thrones, who I'm like, it's like if you watched all the Harry Potter movies and read all the Harry Potter books, and then you find out at the end that Harry Potter really is Voldemort. Yeah, that's a like, good. That's a good description. Or because yeah, Daenerys. People named their children after this character because she was such a strong female character, and then she ends up being nuts. Right, I, that that right there, that that plot twist was heartbreaking because yeah. she's the freer of slaves, and you know the the mother of dragons, and she's yeah, she's such a badass female character, and then all of a sudden she's just burning the city to the ground. Sorry, spoiler no alert. Reason. But you know, and just and just watching everybody and, and enjoying it. Like, I don't know. No. Yeah. Just and then they gave her a chance, Jon Snow gave her a chance and said and she's like, Oh no, I know better than everybody, and then he has to kill her. And it's like I watched that scene of her doing that speech where the dragon comes up behind her and it looks like she has wings, which yeah. is a great shot. Of course. Um, but I'm thinking she sounds like Hitler. And do you know that the actress Amelia Clark studied Hitler's speeches in order to do that speech? Really? Yep. <laughs> it's like uh, into the wild. <laughs> yeah, it's like how, as an actress, this character uh, Amelia Clark had two brain aneurysms in the time that she was playing the character. Yeah. And the character is part of what brought her through, and now they've ruined this character. Yeah, I'm like with John? you. I'm with you. My wife and I were into it, really into it. And yeah. all of a sudden it was just like, ugh. It, yeah. it, 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 if, for people that haven't watched Game of Thrones, this is really it. It is that person that you've always wanted to date. You, Whenever you would talk to them in the hall at school or at work or whatever, you're like, Oh my goodness, this person is so awesome. We get along so well and everything's perfect. And you start dating and you realize that they have like the worst breath and they don't really have any friends and their their parents are awful. And it's just like, wait a second, I thought this was going to be awesome. And then right. it's such a disappointment that you're like, I just need to get away from this. <laughs> yep. That's yep, that's pretty much it. Yep, I totally agree. Um, and I have some friends that don't agree, but no, they ruined it. Yeah, you know what show I'm really into now? Uh, it's a it's a brand new show on HBO, uh, Mrs. Fletcher. It's really good. Hmm, I haven't seen that one. I heard uh, Howard Stern talking about it, and I was like, oh, I'll give it a try. My wife and I binged five episodes, bam, right off the bat. What I want to binge, I want to see Outlander but I have like five seasons to catch up on and I've not done it. You do have a lot to catch up on on that one. Now, I, I, if it's if it's five seasons, I actually just started watching, uh, this is how I know I've become a housewife, is uh, <laughs> I, I have a show. I've got a program. I've got my stories. 
And, right. Uh, Where did you start watching? Mad Men. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm it, not. I, I don't get HBO, so I, there were there were a lot of shows I missed. Oh, I used to watch Game of Thrones at somebody else's house. Mad Men but, is on Netflix. Netflix. Ah. Yep. Cool. Yep. It's all on there. You don't have to worry about commercial breaks or anything. Nice. Well, see, this is the kind of these. This podcast is really where I hoped that this podcast would go. <laughs> like when it and I, and it felt it, this feels like whenever you're like working out and you're not really seeing the results that you want and then after uh-huh. and then all of a sudden it's like oh okay well hey there's a muscle it's like uh it's like I I've had some episodes where I've had the conversations but they've mostly stayed on radio and you yeah, and I you have, do better than that with us yeah right <laughs> <laughs> Glad I could help. Now, can I come back again? Uh, absolutely. We got to do this awesome. again. Um, yeah. And to wrap it up, which which I said on your Facebook page that we needed to start with was the little fuses in the Christmas lights. Did you ever get that oh. figured out? No, I just threw the lights away. Yeah. I- so <laughs> what we're talking about is you get Christmas lights now. They burn out really quickly and they give you these little tiny fuses that you're supposed to put in the plug. Yes. But you, it's hard to get open. When you get it open, it's hard to handle the little fuses because they fly out of your hand, so you're picking it up 20 times. Yeah. And then you get it in there, and you have to kind of stuff it in there, and you plug it in, and it never works. Well, I mean, so, are, are, you, are you just tying in too many lights into one outlet? No. No? No. Okay. It's just that the string of lights doesn't work, and you have to replace the fuses in that plug, well, in that string. The reason that I bring this up is that literally two nights ago, I hung the Christmas lights on the house. I had too many in one outlet, so I had to divide it up a little bit. But that's exactly what happened. I blew a fuse on the one strand, and I'm up on the the third or fourth rung of the ladder. I'm wearing a headlamp. And and I'm changing the fuse, you know, in the dark. And I'm like, if these drop, that's it. I'm not going to be able to change them. But I watched a 30-second YouTube video on how to change them out. And it took me five minutes to change them. And it worked. No, I've never had it work. I tried it and I'm like, screw it. I'm just throwing the lights away and getting new ones. You're using the wrong tool. You need like a really, really like a like a screwdriver for like your your glasses. You need like I a, was using that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You you got the shaky hands? Did you need to have a drink before you did it? <laughs> no, I, I needed a drink after I tried to do it. <laughs> I was gonna go get a drink, but I spent all my money on the next Christmas lights. Exactly. <laughs> Leah, I, this has been remarkable. We'll we'll definitely do this again, just oh. so we can we can go off on uh, on even more tangents. But um, yes. uh, tell uh, Zombie Cat, Zombie Jackson, um, that uh, that I said hello, um, I, I, yes. and uh, don't blow all your money on uh, on Christmas lights. <laughs> you too. <laughs> uh, this has been fantastic, Leah Clocko. Um, uh, my former coworker, but always my friend. Thank you for joining us on the Face for Radio podcast. Thank you, Chachi.